Thanks for checking out the YVF podcast today. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you in whatever season of life you're in. Now here's Pastor Kevin. We just worship you, Lord, in spirit and in truth. I just thank you that you've brought each one of us here this morning. You said, Jesus, that your Father is searching. He's, he's looking for those who are worshipers in spirit and in truth. And I believe that's why each one of us is here this morning, because you have brought us here into your house. And this is the only reason we came here this morning above everything else, is to worship you, to know you, to see you. Lord, we just pour our hearts out before you. We open our hearts to you right now. We ask you, Lord, give us an ear to hear what the Spirit is speaking to our church, what the Spirit is speaking into our lives and into our families. Because without your revelation, without Knowing you, Lord, we have no direction in life. We don't know where to go. We don't know what to do. Lord, we just, in our hearts before you, right now, we turn toward you. We repent. A lot of us don't like to hear that word repent. But Lord, we just turn toward you. In so many ways, Lord, it's so true that Our eyes are dry. We don't weep for what you weep. And our faith just gets old. Lord, and we just need you to renew us with the wine of your blood. I just pray this morning that you would speak to us through your word. And I pray that as we take this your body and this your blood together as your family, that we come before you with the gratitude of being seated at your table together with you and in fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We just pray this, Lord, and we thank you for this opportunity this morning. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I've been preaching a series of messages that I'm calling The Love of the Truth from Second Thessalonians. And it's really just one big, long sermon, but it's too long to put into, into one Sunday. And so I want to continue with that this morning, and this is the, the fourth uh, message uh, along these lines. And we've been talking about truth, and we've been in Second Thessalonians. I'm not going to repeat everything that we've been through. All those are out there in the internet, and you, you can listen to them again. But um, as I told you in the first message... That this came to my heart from Second Thessalonians. That Second Thessalonians is is very much a message to our church today, that a message that we need to hear today. That it's it's really a call to battle. It's a mustering of the troops. It's a, a militant or a martial message, and it speaks to us about the time that we live in. It speaks to us concerning our real enemy. 
It speaks to us concerning God's plan for victory and his plan to destroy that enemy. And it's a call for us to choose which side we are on and to be on the side of the Lord. And in 2 Thessalonians, in chapter 2, there's this phrase that refers to those who will be destroyed by the deception of the uh, mystery of lawlessness or the, or the Antichrist. And that phrase says that they are being destroyed, they are being deceived because they have not received the love of the truth unto salvation. And so from that verse in verse 10, I've taken the title of these messages, The Love of the Truth. I want to be someone who is daily receiving the love of the truth. And I like that phrase because it's more than just agreeing that these things are true. You know, a lot of people's faith is just a mental faith. It's just an assent. They just agree that these things are true. And mostly that's because that's just what they were taught or they heard it somewhere. And, and faith is not just that. Faith is an agreement of the heart. It's a love of the truth, a real dedication and a love of the truth. So I want to start this morning with some definitions, some definitions. When we look at the word truth in the Old Testament, mostly we have the Hebrew word emet. And this word comes from the verb, the Hebrew verb amat, which means to confirm or to support. And so truth in the Old Testament has a meaning of a reality that is confirmed and that supports all of our lives. Something that's actually real, that actually works, okay? It's a confirmed reality. And both these words, emet and emat, amat, they are related to, the root is amat, and it has many different words that come out of it, but they're related to the word amin. And you probably know the word amin because we say amen or amen. And this is a Hebrew word. And so this Hebrew word, amin, speaks of what is true, what can be believed, and what is trusted. In the Greek, it's the Greek word, aletheia. And aletheia comes from a root um, adjective, alethes. And alethes means that which is not hidden. The uh, prefix a means not, and lethes has to do with being hidden. So truth is that which is not hidden, that which is revealed, that which is available for us to know if we will only love it and embrace it. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. In John chapter 18, verses 37 and 38, at Jesus' trial before, when he stood before Pilate, we read these words it says that Jesus answered unto Pilate, and this is what Jesus told Pilate. He said, you say correctly that I am king. And for this reason, for this reason, I have been born. And for this, I have come into the world to testify to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And then Pilate said to him, the famous question, what is truth? And we see in these verses that when we listen 
to the voice of Jesus. When we hear the voice of Jesus, how do I hear the voice of Jesus? Well, if you want to make a good start, read the Bible, okay? That's the best place you're going to start, okay? Then you'll listen to the Holy Spirit as He speaks to your heart. But the foundation of hearing the voice of Jesus is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that we preach. So everyone who is of the truth reads the Bible, you might say. Everyone who is of the truth loves the Word of God. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And the word hear there could also be translated into English as listen. However you want to apply that, it means to actually hear the sound of his voice, but to listen to his voice, to follow his voice, to be his disciple. And everyone who is of the truth hears the voice of Jesus. And so we can flip that around and we can say that if somebody is listening to the voice of Jesus, then we know that they are a lover of truth. What it means to love the truth is to listen to the voice of Jesus. But the question that Pilate asks is the philosophical position of the entire world around us today. Our whole world is saturated in this idea that Pilate so eloquently and briefly states, what is truth? If you talk to anybody in the world, if you listen to any TV show, um, anybody out there speaking for the most part, you're going to get this understanding that everybody has their own truth. You've got your truth, i got my truth. You know, that's your truth, that works for you, but that ain't my truth, and that doesn't work for me. You know, this is how I was born, that's how you were born, everybody's got their own, their own truth. Well, Pilate spoke it. He said, what is truth? In other words, Pilate is saying that truth is not absolute. Truth can be defined by the circumstances. Truth changes depending on which culture and which age you live in. A lot of people look at what we're doing this morning with the body and the blood of Jesus, and they say that's something quite antiquated, something so old-fashioned. We have no idea what that even means. A lot of people look at being baptized in water, and they say, what's the point of being baptized in water? What does that even mean? I mean, sure, that probably had some application for some ancient culture, but that has no application for me today. And it's helpful to go and look at the ancient culture and study these things out and understand things. It's very helpful to do a, a really good study on the blood covenant and, and talk about all these things. But whether you've ever done that study or not, it actually doesn't matter in one sense because this is truth. And if we've gotten so far away from it that we don't understand it anymore, that's our problem. We need to repent and we need to come back to truth. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is truth and it is absolute and it is never changing. It's the foundation on which all of creation is built. You know, a lot of times when I'm talking to myself and then when I'm talking to other people, I'm saying, you know, if you just try to do what the Bible actually says, you're going to find out that it works. Because, you know, I mean, in a sense, it's an instruction booklet. It's telling you what, what, what works in your life. You know, everybody in here has a car, right? And everybody knows that a car comes with an instruction booklet. You know, it's got the little thing. It tells you what to do, when to change the oil, when to change this, when to change that. And most people understand that you should do even more than what it says in that, in that book, right? 
And, but, but a lot of people, they just drive their cars, drive their cars. I mean, I've heard of people that drive their cars without ever changing the oil. And if you got, a, if you got lucky and got a good car, it's going to go for a long time. You know, and you might not have any problems. But if you want it to really last for a long time and to run well, then you have to maintain it, right? And maintenance is kind of like daily repentance, like fixing things every single day, keeping everything in line with what it's uh, supposed to be like. And so it is in our lives. If we keep our lives in line with the Word of God, then we don't have to keep coming back with these major repairs all the time. And major repairs are okay. But at some point, you get tired of them and say, why don't I start trying to live and asking God's help for me to live according to the Word of God, to live in the way that God speaks? Why do I keep stepping on the same rake over and over again? You know, kaboom, kaboom, kaboom. At some point, you say, maybe I should put that rake away instead of leaving it forks up on the ground every time I walk out in the yard, right? And so the Word of God. The truth is the absolute, and it does not change. Pilate is looking at the truth, right in the face, because Jesus is the truth, and yet he doesn't know the truth. So you can be staring the truth right in the face and not know the truth. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, then we're going to get over to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And I want to begin reading with verse 17 without getting into the details of the, of the uh, context of what Paul is, is uh, dealing with in the church there. And you can look at that yourselves later. But listen to what he says in verse 17. He says, Therefore, I was not vacillating when I intended to do this, was I? Or what I purpose?" Do I purpose according to the flesh, so that with me there will be yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? But as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. So Paul's saying, when we're speaking to you, you're not confused about what we mean. We're not hiding our meaning in metaphors and shadows so that you have no idea what it actually means at the end of the day. We're very clear with you. It's yes, yes, and it's no, no. It's not a mixture of yes and no together. And he says, verse 19, for the Son of God, he tells us why he speaks this way, because this is the way Jesus speaks. For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me, and Sylvanus, and Timothy, as Silas, was not yes and no, but is yes in him. For as many as are the promises of God, in him they are yes, therefore also through him is our amen, and literally it says through him amen, to the glory of God through us. So listen to that. All the promises of God are not yes and no. They are yes, and through Jesus they are amen. And I already talked to you about this, that amen means that this is the truth. This is what's confirmed. This is what really works in life. All the promises of God. And the, purposes of the, the purpose of those promises of God that we have here in God's word is to bring the glory of God through 
our local church, through our, each individual family, and through our individual lives. The glory of God. Just Let me just stop for a minute. Just think about that. What? The glory of God. The glory of God. When people stood in the presence of the glory of God in the Bible, they did not stand in the presence of the glory of God. They could not stand. The full glory of God to bring it into our lives through us that the light would shine to the world. You are the light of the world, Jesus said. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God. He also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge or as a down payment, as earnest money, you might say. The Holy Spirit is in us, and that presence of the Holy Spirit in us is the full down payment on all the glory of God that is the hope of our lives in the resurrection. And we have it now. But I call God as witness to my soul that to spare you I did not come again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but are workers with you for your joy. Now listen to this at the end. He says, for in your faith, or literally it says in the Greek, by faith you are standing firm. By faith you stand firm. What does truth mean again? It's that which stands firm. That which supports. That which confirms. That which is actually real. So by faith you stand in the truth. The truth we love, the truth in which we stand firm by faith, is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to talk a little bit about tradition here. Go with me over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to see that Paul calls the teaching of Christ the tradition of the apostles. We don't like the word tradition, <laughs> so we need to talk about it a little bit. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, this is where we left off last week. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation, through sanctification, by the Spirit, and faith in the truth. It was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, the same theme repeated. That you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God has called you through the gospel that you might gain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. That you might be filled with the glory of God. I mean, you know, People sometimes ask, well, what's the vision of Yerington Vineyard Fellowship? Well, when we got a vision statement, and we got all kinds of things written down there, and, and that's awesome. But in, in one word, that we might be filled with the glory of God. That, uh, that our lives, our families, our homes might be filled with the glory of God. That we might be a temple, a house for God. That He lives in us, that He walks in us, that He has His way in us. That we might be filled with the glory of God. So listen to this. You have been called through the gospel. When the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ was preached to you, this was a call that went into your life. Again, this is a military message. This is a, a mustering of God's troops. 
He called you through the gospel. I've talked with you about this already. But the very understanding of the preaching of the gospel is a military understanding. In the ancient world, for the Greeks, these words, this word that they used, and what Paul keeps using over and over again, yes, it does mean to preach the good news. But we've so focused on that that we've taken it out of the context of what it actually was. And we're just like, oh, this is just good news. We're just going to tell you some good news about Jesus. But the good news, what that actually meant, is a guy would go before the conquering king and enter into a city where the king hadn't arrived yet, like a herald, and he would proclaim the good news of his king's victory. And implicit in that good news were these words, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Join the side of the conquering king or you will be destroyed when he arrives. Okay? And people had a choice. They listened to that gospel and went over to the side of the conquering king and welcomed him into their city or they rejected that gospel and most often killed the messenger. Right? They persecuted those who came to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, it hasn't changed today. You accepted the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You were called, and you were called to gain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. But as we've already seen, this will not be fulfilled until the fullness of the second coming of Jesus when he comes back. And so we occupy today. We stand in a position where we're proclaiming the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have that glory. We're ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We're representatives of the kingdom of God. So we live and walk according to that glory in our lives. It's a call to gain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we receive the gospel, Paul's talking about here, John talks about it in 1 John, and it's in many other places, we become the beloved brethren, if you will, I love these words, but the beloved brethren of Jesus' apostles. He says there's a direct line. It's what Paul calls tradition. That this gospel was preached to the disciples. They become his apostles. He sends them out, and they go out making disciples and baptizing everyone in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And by direct line of the passing on of this tradition, it's reached to us today. So we become brethren of Jesus' apostles. We have fellowship with Jesus' apostles. We don't see them. They're up there in heaven, but we see each other. But that, just because they're up there in heaven doesn't lessen the fact that we have fellowship with them. We see less of heaven, I think, than heaven sees of us. I haven't been to the other side, so I can't tell you for sure. You know, I've heard stories of people that have had you know, experiences where they've been in heaven. I can read in the scripture of people that have had experiences where they've been in the presence of God in the third heaven, right? But I have never had that experience in my life. But I have had the experience of people who were very close to me, like my parents, who were very close to Jesus, and they went to be in heaven... And I'm not talking about something spooky like their ghosts walk around in my house or something dumb like that. But I'm just saying I very much know that we are connected together. That there, are, that there is a work between heaven and earth. And we've been talking about angels here in this. And we've talked about Michael in this. 
And, and, and this, these things were a great revelation for Daniel. We read a lot out of Daniel. You know, Daniel's just fasting and praying for 21 days, trying to get an answer, and all of a sudden the answer comes to him, and this entire new world opens up to him. Oh, there's a heavenly battle going on. There's something going on in the spirit realm. There, there are princes up, up there, Michael and Gabriel and angels fighting and all this stuff going on. And he's not given a whole lot of detail. And we're not given a whole lot of detail. Because, you know, a soldier in the army doesn't get a whole lot of detail. He gets the information that he needs to fulfill his mission, to do what he's called to do. And we have all that we need because the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us. And he's been given to us as a down payment. So we become the beloved brethren of Jesus' apostles. And Romans 8, 17 says, we are heirs of God. Man, you just got, you got to start seeing yourself with different eyes. We are heirs of God. And we are fellow heirs. I like how the King James says it. We are joint heirs. Something about joint sounds more powerful to me than fellow. We are joint heirs with Christ. What does that mean? A lot of people don't like to hear things like this. But, but wake up. What does that mean? Everything that belongs to Jesus is mine because I'm in Christ. And I'm not talking about some self-centered pride kind of thing. It's very humbling to me. And it puts a great responsibility on me. And it changes the whole dynamic of what it means to take up my cross and follow Jesus. We are joint heirs Together with Christ, the scripture says in Romans chapter 8, verse 17. But if we read on, and a lot of times we don't read on, we just quote that part. But if we re read on, it says we are fellow heirs or joint heirs with Christ. And then it has this really important word, if. It says, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Every soldier in a battle understands the meaning of that. Every football player on the football field understands the meaning of that. Nobody in the stands gets it, but everybody out there understands this is suffering. This is sweat, this is pain, this is hard work. And I'm talking about football because we haven't had a battle on our land in so long that none of us even know, hardly, hardly any of us know what that even means. I don't want for us to find out what that means in the physical realm. But we may find out. But if we don't get it now in the spiritual realm, we're not going to survive until Jesus comes back. We have to suffer together with him so that we may be glorified with him. Man, it's, it's actually something so beautiful. And every time we receive the body and the blood of Jesus, he's reminding of us uh, of this. He says, just do this in remembrance of me. And when you do this, every time you're going to show my death until I come. So he's reminding us that through our sufferings, God brings great glory. Great glory comes through those sufferings. So we probably shouldn't be complaining about them so much, but embracing them and looking for the glory that God wants to bring through them. So I want to draw your attention to uh, a couple of words here. It says, God has chosen you from the beginning, from the beginning. I want to show you a different nuance uh, in, in this phrase. Because uh, if you've got a Bible with marginal notes, it'll probably have a marginal note about what I'm going to say right now. Because the translators from the Greek into the English are pretty divided about how to translate that phrase. Because the word that is used can be used in two different ways. 
So, and, and, and actually when I see things like this, I, I see both sides of it, so it's not really that big of a deal. But I want to bring that nuance out because, because you don't probably see it when you read that from the beginning. I mean, if you're reading carefully, your first question is, from what beginning? <laughs> Does that mean that he called us before creation? Does that mean that the beginning of, of Jesus' life? Does that mean when I was first born? Exactly what beginning is that, is that talking about? But this word that's used here can also mean, and very often in the scriptures translated like this, as first fruits. First fruits, because it's the exact same word, and only the context determines it. And first fruits are what is brought as an offering to the Lord. Now remember we've been talking about the restrainer, right? And I talked to you about what Michael's doing and and how when we stand, I'll just make this short, when we stand it as lovers of the truth, then the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is restraining, not stopping completely, because there's a plan that has to be worked out. It's God's ultimate plan to destroy the forces of darkness and to have complete victory. But uh, when we stand as, the, in, as lovers of the truth, and we're uh, those who believe the gospel, the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, and love that truth, then just our very lives, just the very small things in our lives, our families, act as a restraining force against the Antichrist. Okay? And it's very powerful. When a group of people do that as a church, that church becomes a city of refuge, like a, an outpost. Now, last week, I talked about Michael retreating and i got a correction from my good friend pastor kevin mcmullen in missouri because he is military he spent a life in the military and as a cop after that i am not military i got out of that job and happy happy i did but um, but you know sometimes you're like man i wish i understood that he said my what the word you should use for michael is not retreat but a uh uh Oh, now he's probably going to listen and say you did it wrong again. But a, a strategic withdrawal, that's what he said. He, he said, because a retreat is when you're running away. But a strategic withdrawal is when you're regrouping. Okay? So a city of refuge is a place of strategic withdrawal, a place where the enemy is still out there. You know, that's not going to change until Jesus comes back. But he is being restrained. His forces are being stopped. It's a place of safety. It's, it's a place where the glory of God fills that, that house, okay? And so we talked about that. So what are first fruits? Well, first fruits in the Old Testament, when we read this, just to make this brief, they were an offering that were brought to the Lord at the very beginning of the harvest. You know, the first fruit that pops out on the tree or whatever grows up, the, the first grapes and, on the vine and things like that, they're brought to the Lord. What was the purpose of that offering. The purpose of that offering was to dedicate the entire harvest to the Lord. And so the offering was seen as something that restrained the destructive forces which could destroy the harvest. Everybody in here that has anything to do with farming, and that's a lot of you, knows that just because the harvest starts out well doesn't mean it's going to end well. It all depends on weather. It depends on so many different things. And so there are forces that can destroy the harvest. And so the first fruits were to dedicate that unto the Lord to be a restraining force 
and to sanctify the entire harvest to the glory of the Lord. So we can also read this verse like this, and I want you to hear this nuance that's hidden here, that you are chosen as first fruits unto salvation in sanctification of the Spirit and in faith of the truth. In sanctification of the Spirit. It's not just about you being sanctified, but you've been chosen as first fruits to sanctify the world that is around you. That you have been chosen to shine the light of Jesus. And some people, and I hope a lot of people, are go actually going to listen to that if we shine the light. And we sang this song about proclaiming the name of Jesus. I got really touched when we were singing that song this morning. I just saw myself walking around with my family. I got problems with my family. Everybody does. You know, over the city, wherever I am, uh, we're going to be going on a trip to Russia pretty soon, going through Russia, proclaiming the name of Jesus, you know, to sanctify people. Uh, listen to this. I just popped into my head, but listen to this. In, in 1 Corinthians, when Paul's teaching about, about marriage and divorce and things like that, he, he, he talks to a, a believing wife who has an unbelieving husband. Do you remember that? And they also says that there could be a believing husband with an unbelieving wife. In my experience, it's usually a believing wife, unbelieving husband. Okay, seems like the women believe first. But he says, if, if he's pleased to dwell with you, you don't just divorce him because he's an unbeliever. That's a stupid reason to get a divorce. Okay, so I mean, he's, he loves you. He's a good husband. He feeds the family, protects you, does whatever husbands are supposed to do. Right. And you're happy together. Well, why do you think you're going to get divorced just because you got saved and he didn't get saved? And, and he says to her, don't you know that your faith will sanctify him and it will sanctify all of your children also and, and and you know what that means they're gonna get saved if you remain in faith that glory will sanctify them it will bring them all in and i proclaim that and have proclaimed that over all my kids and my grandkids you know that they're all coming in not just get saved by the skin of their teeth you know as if by fire but coming into the fullness of the glory of the Lord. That was proclaimed over me when I was a kid. I remember my grandma doing it, you know, and I proclaimed that over my kids. There's a power of this glory to bring sanctification of the Spirit when we stand in the truth as lovers of truth. Okay, now look at verse 15. There's a lot more there, but we'll keep going. Look at verse 15. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. So I want to talk about traditions, because this is the practical part of what I'm saying today. This is so important, that we hold fast to our traditions. Okay? So there are two kinds of traditions. There are the kind, there's the kind of tradition that Paul is talking about here. It's a tradition of God. And there are traditions of men. All right? Look with me. At, look, before we look at God's tradition, let's look at the traditions of men. In Mark chapter 7. Look at Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. And uh, I'll just take a little time to read here. It says from verse 1 that the Pharisees and some of the scribes 
gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands or unwashed hands. That is unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. The reason I'm reading this out of Mark's account is because Mark does a great job of <laughs> explaining all the little nitpicky things that, that the uh, Pharisees had to do. So it, it doesn't say, it doesn't mean that the disciples of Jesus were just really dirty dogs that never washed their hands. You know, it's not talking about hygiene here. Okay? It's talking about traditions of men. What it means is that they did not ceremonially wash their hands. So you went to the marketplace, that means you were around unclean people. When you come home, you know, you've got to do all these ceremonies to get the sin of those people at Rayleigh's off of you so that you can be holy again. Okay? And so they had all this, this kind of this kind of stuff that they had to do. And verse 5, it says, The Pharisees and the scribes <coughs> asked him, Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? But they, they eat their bread with impure hands. And listen to what Jesus says about the tradition of the elders. These are not the traditions of God. These are not the tradition of Scripture. Okay, These are the traditions of the elders what they made out of Scripture, but it's their own tradition. He said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites. See, Jesus is all yes, no. You know, it's not the yes, yes, no, no thing. He's just black and white. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. So the tradition of men, you know you have to do with the traditions of men. When it teaches the precepts of men or the teachings of men as if they were doctrines. You know, a doctrine is something you don't argue with. A doctrine is something you better hold to, okay? But when people are teaching form as doctrine, you know, if you don't, do worship the way we do worship, you don't really have the presence of God there or something. You know what? I mean, you can go down the line. We've got millions of these things. But you have to understand how to discern this, that something's being taught as doctrine that is not doctrine. And then listen to what Jesus says. There's a, there's a reason why they do this. Because neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. Because it's a smokescreen that makes it so that you can neglect the commandment of God. And he gives them an example. Listen to this. You are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. And here's a great example. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have that would help you is Corban, that is to say, and then Mark explains this word, this Aramaic word to us, that is to say it is given to God or it's under the ban of God, it belongs to God. You no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition which you have handed down and you do many such things as that. So it would be like saying today, 
that, well, you know, mom and dad, mom, you know, they're, they're going through a really hard time. They're old. You know, they, they need help, you know, and there's ways that I could help them, but I can't help them because I've dedicated my time to serving the church. Or, well, I can't give mom money. That's my tithe. I've got to put that in that woven gray basket up there up front. So I'm not going to help mom and dad out. You know, and that you use this excuse, but the fact is you're probably not actually giving your tithe anyway, and you're not really doing anything for the church. You're just throwing up this smoke screen so you don't have to do anything for mom and dad. And he takes that example because the Pharisees were actually doing that. I mean, they'd have all this money, and they would say, oh, this, this money is Corbin. We've dedicated this to the church, so we can't use it for anything else. But Jesus knows what they're really doing with that money. They're just using it for their own selves. They're doing things the way they want to do things. They're building up their own kingdom. So Jesus just cuts right through their smokescreen and tells them very plainly that the traditions of men neglect and they set aside the word of God. They set aside the word of God. And when that is done, it opens the gates to a person, an evil person. I'm not sure if I should even call him a person that Jesus tells the Pharisees in John chapter 8 is called the father of lies. And he says, your father is the devil. And he's been a liar from the beginning. And we've seen this happen in our culture. We've seen this happen in our nation. And it's running rampant today. That the entire nation is filled with lies. Lies that are so absurd that you would think anybody could see right through them that people actually believe them, and they've bought into the lie. And it's because we've rejected the Word of God, we've neglected the Word of God, and set it aside for the traditions of men. I could go through a whole lot of those traditions, but for a lot of people, and it's been this way since I was a kid, I remember thinking these things even when I was a little kid. For a lot of people, being an American equals being a Christian. That's it's a complete lie, Okay. For a lot of people, they think that because I'm an American, I'm saved. Somewhere down on the inside of their head, they just think that. And it's a complete lie. For a lot of people, they think, well, if I'm an American, that means that, you know, I was born in the greatest country on planet Earth. And everybody says that. And it sounds great. It's good to be patriotic. I'm patriotic. I love my country. If you don't love your country, there's something wrong with you. Every person should love their country. They should love the land they were born on. They should love their home. But if you really love somebody, then you speak truth to them, don't you? If you really love somebody, you don't just pretend like everything's honky-dory when everything's really messed up. Okay? And we just keep going and following these lies. Well, I mean, come on. You know, I'm, it's, it's just the most obvious thing today in the world to me. But, but how can a boy not be a boy and a girl not a girl anymore? It doesn't make any sense. All of nature rebels against this and say, you humans have gone nuts. This, this is stupid. And this is lie after lie after lie. But that happens because we reject the word of God. So we have to stand firm and hold firm to the traditions that we have received, no matter how old-fashioned they are, no matter how much we're persecuted for that. And do you think you will not be persecuted for standing on this truth that a man is a man and a woman is a woman, you will be. And people already are being. And parents are having their children taken away from them today. And it's happening in cities and in nations, all, mostly all in the Western countries. 
but it's happening today. And so get ready. Stand firm according to the truth. According to the truth. I really do believe that there will be cities of refuge. And if our church and if our community, and if, if I mean, I know we got prostitution and drugs being sold and all this kind of stuff, you know, but, and, and we, you know, couldn't vote out that prostitution. Okay, fine. But you know what? Prostitution will just shut down if people get saved. It'll just disappear if people get saved. So if we build our community, if we build our churches and our families to be cities of refuge, that this is a place where, where the light shines, where the glory of God is, where we stand according to the truth. I'm, I'm telling you, people will come here from California. People will come here from wherever to find some place where they can be in the truth. I just read a, fa a story about an entire family from Canada. It didn't say this, but in looking at them, I think they were Amish or Mennonite or something like that because they had lots of kids, okay? They didn't have as many kids as I have, but they had a lot of kids. I think it was like nine kids or something. And this, they were farmers in Canada. And of all things, of all things, they packed up and they moved to Russia. And they bought land in Russia and they're farming and, and raising cattle in Russia. And in the article, it said, it was an interview with them, they said, we just cannot raise our kids anymore in Canada because we want our kids to know the truth. And the entire nation is forcing us to drive this whole LGBTQ, et cetera, thing that, you know, onto them. And we refuse to allow that anymore. So we were looking for a place where that's against the law. And so we chose Russia. People used to leave Russia because of oppression. But people are waking up. I'm not saying go to Russia, okay? But I'm saying people will go to a place where there's truth, okay? They'll go to a place where they can raise their kids, where there's safety, where there's security. And I'm not, you know, I don't know how many people will come here, but I know God spoke to us that this is a city of refuge. So what does a city of refuge look like? It's a place that holds fast to the tradition that it has received. Look with me at Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. I don't know if this is making any sense to you or not. It's making a lot of sense to me. But <laughs> Galatians chapter 1. Do I step on your toes? That's okay. I kind of like stepping on toes a little bit sometimes. Yeah. Um, I, I wore these soft shoes. Verse 13 of Galatians 1. It says, For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism. So what's Paul saying? He said, I used to live according to the tradition of the elders. I used to live according to the traditions of men. And according to the traditions of men, I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure, and I tried to destroy it. Okay? And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions ancestral traditions. Nobody in the history of the world has had ancestral traditions that go as far back and are as powerful and are as close to the truth as the Jews. Okay? So he's talking about something way better than American traditions. He's talking about something way better than any other country's traditions. He's saying, I was a Jew, and nobody's got traditions like us. 
we're the best at this tradition thing. And our traditions are built on something that's really real. And so he says, I was advancing in these traditions. They're ancestral traditions. And I was proud of myself. But when God, who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, so he set me apart from the beginning, he was pleased. When he chose to do this, he revealed his son in me, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And he says, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and I returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days, that's Peter. But I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. See, this is really important to Paul that we understand this. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But only they kept hearing, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy, and they were glorifying God because of me. Now, we're not going to do this this morning. I think when we did the series on Acts, we did do this. It's really interesting to put his words together with the book of Acts and look at this whole thing. But the gist of it all is this, that Paul received his gospel, and he likes to call it my gospel. You know, start calling it my gospel. That doesn't mean you've started your own sect or your own cult and you've got some new gospel. Just, just it means you're taking ownership of this gospel you receive. This is my gospel. This is my witness. I'm telling you what Jesus has done in my life. You know, this is the doctrine I stand in, the tradition that I've received. And it goes all the way back to the apostles and to Jesus himself. Paul received his gospel, he says, from the Lord himself. He received this as a tradition of truth. And that tradition of truth, listen to this, the tradition of truth delivers a person from the tradition of lies. Once the light turns on, you realize how dark everything was before and why you kept tripping and why you kept falling down and why you kept hitting your head on that because now the light's on and you're delivered from the tradition of lies. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. Well, verse 1, Paul says, Be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. He talks about imitating him. I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. Then over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, which we'll get to much later, but verse 6, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you received from us. And I'm going to preach on this, what it means to keep away from them. But just to get started, it means stay away from them, okay? You need to be hanging out with people that hold to the traditions of Jesus Christ. But I do need to teach on that because it doesn't mean that you have to wash your hands every time you go to Rayleigh's. It means look at the fellowship that you're, that you're holding to in, in your life. What are you putting into your heart? What are you putting into your mind? Who are you conversing with? Who are you relying on for your spiritual growth? 
So the true teaching of Christ is the tradition that the Apostle Paul delivered to the church of Christ. So real quickly, I've got to read some more verses, but let's look at what that is, okay? I'm almost done. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And as I'm reading this, please don't start saying, oh, I already know that, okay? Because the Corinthians were probably saying that to Paul too. Just listen to it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. What is the tradition that Paul's talking about that you must hold to? That you must hold to with all of your might, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. I'll just read part of this. You can read the whole chapter later. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved. This is the truth. This is what you must love in your life. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So if you let it go, then your faith was in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. I keep going back to uh, John's uh, sermon a few weeks ago. Start reading your Bible <laughs> according to the Scriptures. And that He appeared to Kephas, uh, to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also, for I am the least of the apostles. I mean, Paul's literally saying that I was a prematurely born child, a little preemie. I was like in an incubator. I hardly even survived, but he had mercy on me, and I, he appeared to me also. So Paul's big deal is that I didn't just hear about Jesus from the other apostles. He spoke to me directly. He appeared to me also. He gave me this revelation directly. He, but he says, I am the least of the apostles, and I'm not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. That should be on your wall at home. It really should be. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God was with me. I love that verse. It's not me working, it's his grace working in me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead... How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And I'm going to stop reading there. So what does Paul say? Paul's not just recounting the story of the gospel for us here. He says, this is the tradition. This is the truth. This is what I told you. And if you let this go, then all of your faith was in vain. It was all a waste of time. This is the truth. So what is the truth? It is the death. It is the burial. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the Scripture. What is the truth? It's His appearing alive to many witnesses. Hundreds of them saw Him after His resurrection. He spoke with them. They touched Him. He is alive. This is the truth. 
What is the truth? That He has ascended to the throne of the Father. What is the truth? That He is coming again and there will be a resurrection of the dead. And so Paul says, and the rest of the chapter talks about this, if you believe Jesus rose from the dead, why are some of you saying that we're not going to raise from the dead? And I want to tell you that a lot of Christians are saying that today. They're actually saying that. And then a lot are not saying those words because, again, mentally they've agreed with this truth, oh, we'll be raised from the dead again. But every single thing about our lives is saying and shouting, there's no resurrection of the dead. Because all we care about is politics. All we care about is making money. All we care about is our retirement plan. We, we hear things like Jesus saying, I'm calling you to go and sell all your possessions, give them away to the poor, and come and follow me. And we say, oh, well, he's just being, that's not really what he meant. You know? No, it is what he meant. Okay? How are you going to apply that in your life? You decide. Listen to the Holy Spirit. But it is what he meant. He said, take up your cross and follow me. Right? So this is the truth. And if we believe that truth, then we live according to that truth. And, and we're not going to be, if we actually, I mean, how are you going to live today? I mean, let me just ask you this. What if you knew 100%, and, and I'm glad that we don't know the day or the hour, but what if you knew 100% that on January 1st, 2025, Jesus is coming back and the dead are going to raise? What would you do different this year? How would you live different today? I mean, I, I ask myself that question all the time, and it's challenging. And it makes me repent on the inside. Lord, why am I wasting my time on things that have no eternal significance? You know, I'm just, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm just trying to challenge you. Put, like, it comes to me all the time. It's a challenge to me. How, how will I then live if this is the truth? If this is the truth? Is it not worth laying down my life for the truth? Would I not be willing to go to prison for the truth? Would I not be willing to die for the truth? And in our heroic novels that we live in our mind, yeah, I'm willing to do that. Then how come I'm not willing just to speak the truth today? When I'm not even in danger of dying or being put in prison. We have to start living and being faithful in the small things. Standing with the gospel, the tradition that we've been given. And then we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, Corinthians, that Jesus, still, we're still talking about traditions, that Jesus says, or Paul writes, I have received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. That's tradition. That's what tradition means. I got it, now I'm giving it to you. Every time I say I got it, I think of that song the ladies were singing in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I got it, and now I'm giving it to you. You can't give someone what you haven't received. I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. This is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So the death, the burial, the resurrection. The body, the blood. It's really quite simple. That we stand in this truth. We hold to this truth. 
Go back to 2 Thessalonians. Verse 16. It says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and in every good word. So standing firm and holding to the truth brings comfort to our hearts with the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And strengthen our, strengthens our hearts with grace and every good word and deed. Do you ever feel like you need comfort? You have to remember what the English word comfort means. Comfort. It's actually a military term also. It means to comfort. It means to reinforce, to strengthen. If you'll take a stand in the truth, I promise you the Holy Spirit will always bring you the comfort and the help you need. Even Jesus himself needed comfort. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when he prayed, and, and his sweat was as great drops of blood, the Bible tells us that the disciples were asleep, but the angels weren't. They were comforting Jesus. They were supporting him. They were giving him the strength to go all the way, helping him to go all the way. Jesus himself, you know, struggled and said, my God, my Father in heaven, I wish that this cup, this cup could pass from me. You know, do you know what this cup is? I mean, really? That this is the dedication. That I'm carrying the cross of Jesus and I'm following him all the way to the end. Now, I just want to end with some thoughts here. And then we're going to receive the Lord's table together. If we are lovers of the truth, then you'll know that because that's going to mean that you love things that the Lord loves. And if you love what the Lord loves, then you will hate what the Lord hates. Okay? It will, it will churn your stomach. You will hate what the Lord hates. And, and, and you'll know it. It's like it's got the, the smell of the lie on it. I don't know how to explain it. Then it walks in the room and you're like, man, I hate that. There's something just wrong about that. All the right words seem like they're being said, but something's wrong with this. Because the closer you get to Jesus, the more you love the truth, you know the counterfeit right away. It becomes obvious because you're spending time with Jesus. Okay? So you love what the Lord loves and you hate what he hates. Romans 12.9 says, let love be unhypocritical. Abhor or really, really hate what is evil, and cling to what is good. Are we clinging to what is good, and are we courageous enough to abhor or to hate those things that are evil? Psalm 138, or 139, it's kind of shocking words for us to read, but there it is in the Bible. David prays and says, Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you. I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. Psalm 119 says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. And in Mark chapter 9, verses 38 through 42, you can look at that story there. The disciples are really upset about some guys that are preaching the gospel. And... And in the name of Jesus, but they're not a part of the disciple team. And they're telling Jesus, hey, you've got to 
tell them to stop this because they're not part of our church. They're just over there preaching the gospel without being a part of our official church here. They've already got their own traditions going. And Jesus says to them, he who is not against us is for us. So I want to kind of end with these thoughts that I, I think it's really important for us to open our hearts. You know, um, that God in these last days is going to be joining us to people that we'll be surprised to be joined with, that are not exactly like us, that are different from us, but that hold to these doctrines that are really the truth. And I'm telling you, maybe you don't pay attention to what's being preached out there and what's going on in churches, but there are not very many really good churches and good pastors left in America, it seems like, sometimes. Now, I don't know all the little ones, but most of the good ones are probably little tiny ones you've never heard of, okay? And if you find the preacher's little YouTube video, it might have 30 views on it. It's not going to have 30 million, okay? If it, and I'm not saying it's bad automatically if it's got 30 million, okay? But if it has 30 million, you might want to think, why would 30 million people listen to this? It might be all watered down and not really the truth. I don't know, okay? But God will be joining us together with people. See, here's the thing about a city of refuge in the Old Testament. Different people would come there from different ages, and all of a sudden they're bound together by the refuge that they have in that city, by the truth that they hold to in that city. They never knew each other before. And some of those people might come looking like Eastern Orthodox Christians with all kinds of weird smells and sensors and smoke blowing around. Some of those people might come Looking like Catholics. Oh, no, not the Catholics. Who cares what they call themselves? Do they hold to the truth of the gospel and do they love the truth? If they love Jesus, then we're going to find ourselves being joined together with them. See, I gave you this scripture from John chapter 21 not that long ago when uh, there's kind of things going on between Peter and John. Okay, And Peter is saying, asking Jesus, you know, uh, what's going to happen to John and Peter, John, sorry, Jesus is telling Peter, it's none of your business, what's going to happen to John, whatever's going to happen to John, that's what I'm going to do with John, but what I'm going to do with you is this, and he tells Peter that when you were young, you used to put your own clothes on, and you went wherever you wanted to go, right, you had freedom, but as you get, when you get old, somebody else is going to put your clothes on for you, and they're going to take, stretch your arms out and take you to a place you don't want to go. And the scripture says that he was speaking about the crucifixion that Peter would endure in his life. And then Jesus says the most important words. He says, follow me. And that tells me that if I'm following Jesus, it means I'm going to be living a life of increasing restriction, not increasing freedom. It's actually true freedom, but it's not what the world calls freedom. It's going to, the way is going to keep getting more and more narrow, okay? It's an, it's, it's an increasing restriction on my life. And it will end if it be the will of the Lord, and it might not be. None of us know what's going to go on in our lives. But it will end with us being martyred for the sake of the gospel, okay? And that's not something to be afraid of. Because Jesus went to the cross. But if we take up a cross, that cross ends with death. And whether you actually are martyred for Jesus or not, 
and it's kind of hard for me to believe that that would happen in mass in America today, but a lot of things have changed in America that were hard for me to believe would ever happen, okay? So I don't know what's going to happen, right? But I know this, that if we take up his cross, that means we're going to de die daily to ourselves. Like that song, alive to you and dead to me. So Lord, take my heart and renew me with the wine of your blood. I want to follow you. And I want to follow you all the way as someone who loves the truth. And here's what's going to happen. If I'm taking up my cross and I'm following Jesus, there's going to be other people suddenly that are following Jesus with their cross over here too. And I'm going to look at them and say, man, you ain't from my tradition. And they're going to look at me and say, well, you're sure not from my tradition. What are you doing here? I'm following Jesus. Well, I'm following Jesus too. Well, I guess we're going to be of a new tradition together. Those that follow Jesus, okay? Whatever the name is written on their church. I mean, how many of you know what the vineyard is? It says vineyard out there. You know, most people here don't even know what the vineyard is anymore. I'm not sure what it is, but I like the name. It's cool sounding. So we're just still part of the vineyard. <laughs> I know what the vineyard is. But, but it's the, this is the only vineyard church in Nevada. So you're not like, oh, man, we got the vineyard now or something like that. But, but the name sounds good because Jesus is the vine and we are in that vine. And so there's branches out there that I've never met before. And I want God to join me up with those kind of people. I want to walk with those kind of people in life. You know, I don't, I don't care where they come from. I don't care what their native language is. We've been doing the marriage course and for, on uh, Saturdays, right? Saturday evenings. And we got the new video for the marriage course this time. And I love it. Every single, they have couples giving testimonies. And those that are going, you know this, every single time they've got this Chinese, I think they're Chinese, this Chinese couple, and this other Chinese guy talking. I'm not sure. They're Chinese or something. I think they're Chinese. <laughs> and they're speaking in Chinese. And there's uh, words down at the bottom in English, so you can read. And I, have to, I can't see over everybody's head, so I have to stand up and, and read those. And I'm thinking, you know, how cool is that? In this day, when most... Most Americans believe that every person who's Chinese is their enemy. Now you're going to say, oh, I don't really believe that. But this is a, just constant propaganda. Con no, it turns out there are actually Christians living in China. Did you know that? Oh, how shocking. <laughs> With a billion people, there might be more Christians in China than in America. I don't know. But God's going to start waking us up to see people that love Jesus from all over the world. You know, and joining us together with other brothers. And, you know, we've, we've been seeing that happen here in Lyon County and here in Nevada. And we need to have our hearts in a place where the only thing that matters to us is we are lovers of truth. We stand with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that this brings salvation to the world. We're not going to water this down. We're not going to try to commercialize it. We're not going to try to make it more appealing to people because this isn't a product that we need to sell. This is the truth that changes people's lives. You know, when we went to the surgeon for Tanya's first appointment before the surgery, that's been extremely successful. And so thank God for that. Um, you know, that surgeon pulled out these models of hips and showed us exactly what he was going to do. And I, I almost fainted. <laughs> and I, t I said to Tanya, are you scared of this? Oh, no. And that was, when I that was a mo another moment when I realized the pain she has is so bad, 
she's not even scared of what that guy showed her he's going to do. Because what he showed her he was going to do, I was like, oh my, you're not doing that to me. <laughs> Sawing off a bone, hammering a stake down in there, you know, all this stuff that they're going to do. But he didn't varnish the truth for us. He didn't try to sell us. He, he, he's telling you, this is what's going to happen, and it's going to change your life. You won't have the pain anymore, but you're going to have to go through this operation. Because without this radical means, nothing will change. Without the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, nothing's going to change. You're not going to just get better. So this is my body, he said, and this is my blood. You do this in remembrance of me. And it remembers us as a body. It draws us back together. It sticks all the members back into the place where they belong. And we as a church, as the body of Christ, are proclaiming his death until he comes. Because that death is the salvation for the world. Amen? It's a worship group. Come on up here, John. Let's stand together. I'm going to ask the um, ministers who know that they're coming up today to... Help serve the communion. Come on up here, please. And we're going to pray. Yes, my favorite people. Father, I just thank you this morning for the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to thank you, Jesus, that you didn't quit and you didn't take a way out. When the devil tempted you in the wilderness, you refused to turn the stone into the bread. When the people cried out for you to be their king, you refused to listen to them. That you went all the way to the cross. When you were hanging on that cross, you refused to call legions of angels down to deliver you from that cross, though they taunted you that you could come down if you were truly the Messiah. You were faithful all the way to the moment that you cried out to the Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When you took on yourself all of our sin, all of our guilt, and you died for us. Now you've chosen us to be your first fruits, that you might glorify yourself in us. Lord, as we receive this morning this bread, which you said is your body, that is for us, you were broken that we might be made whole. We receive your healing, we receive your forgiveness, we receive this wholeness, Lord. Make us whole again and again and again. Keep us maintained. Keep us running right, Lord, to follow you. As we receive this cup that you said is the cup of your new testament, your new covenant, that you are dying to make for us. We receive this, your blood. Make us new by your blood, by the wine of this blood. Renew a right spirit within us. Restore unto us the joy of our salvation. We want to be excited again, Lord. Fill us with your spirit. 
We hope you enjoyed the message. Before you leave, we want to remind you that if you want to continue receiving updates on new sermons, that you subscribe to our podcast. If you want more information on how to contact us, make sure to check out our website at urringtonvillianfellowship.com. And we'll see you next time on the YBF Podcast.